Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, interesting conversations with the people behind our favourite regional festivals and events. We dive into the memorable experiences they create, the unexpected challenges they've overcome and what they've learned along the way. The Bathurst Winter Festival is a two-week event during the July school holidays which embraces the magic of Bathurst winter. It's very quickly gaining a reputation as a vibrant and creative destination. Hannah Welch is the Manager of Events at Bathurst Regional Council and has been involved since the inception of Bathurst Winterfest. Hannah was a presenter at the 2018 Regional Events Conference in Port Macquarie. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, how are you? Well, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so let's get stuck into it. Bathurst Winterfest is a relatively new event, so I'd love you to talk about the history of the event. How did it start? Why did it start? Yeah, for sure. So if anyone knows Bathurst, they know it has a really quite a long, awful and bitter winter. I love Bathurst, but the winters here are long and tough. So I guess part of the, the drive for the event was, you know, if you draw on what Europe does in the middle of winter, everyone's out and about. And so why couldn't we do that here in Australia and here in Bathurst? And it was all about, you know, people used to go away during winter. So we wanted to break the winter up and have something that they would look forward to, keep people here, keep business thriving and get out and about and bring people together and enjoy it. Enjoy the winter. Look forward to it. Yeah, so I guess that's where it started from. And then the first year the Winter Festival happened was during the bicentenary year. So Bathurst was celebrating 200 years. So it was a perfect time to launch a new event that would then stick around and become a marquee event for the city. And interestingly, a lot of people, as with many events when you first start them, people said that'll never work. No one will ever come out in the middle of winter in Bathurst. It won't work. You're crazy. You're mad. But yeah, it, it started and it, the first night was absolutely huge. No one expected it to be that big so much that we run out of food within like an hour and a half. <laughs> it was just that big. Uh, and then, you know, from there, it's just grown from strength to strength. And it just shows that looking at an event during an off time of year, people do want to come together. They want to get outdoors. You create an atmosphere for them and they'll come. Absolutely. Now, what year did you start Winterfest? So it started in 2015. Okay. Surprisingly, six years now it's been going. Yeah, that just seems like yesterday. So tell us a little bit about what that first festival looked like and then how it's evolved over the last five years or so? Yeah. So that first festival, well, that kind of takes me back. Back in 2015, it was the big bicentenary year. Very exciting for everyone. So we had illuminations on buildings. We had an outdoor ice rink. We had so many things that hadn't been seen this side of the mountains. So we're all very excited, but it was it was going to be huge. And there was a lot of talk in Bathurst around people coming. And, you know, there was also the talk people probably wouldn't come. It was quite nervous being in the office and being like, how, just having absolutely no idea how many people are going to come. And I think at that point in time, it was when Facebook had, you know, events. It was, you could Facebook event it. And I think we had about 2,000 people coming. So at that point, we're like, yeah, this is great. We're going to have 2,000 people. So the night started and we had oh, 8,000 to 10,000 people come out of nowhere. And we were so surprised, but it was just so incredibly awesome. We had the ice rink, we had the illumination start. We had glowing balloons. We had kids' activities. There was so much happening and we just didn't expect to see all these people. And we had these food areas set up that were going to be really nice and quaint. However, when a few thousand people packed in, we had massive lines. People were crammed everywhere. We ran out of food probably within two hours. It was just insane. But I guess that we learned so much from that and even our storeholders were like, no one was expecting that many people on that night. But it was such a huge buzz. The illumination lights went on, not as expected, but they did go on. 
and the whole town was just really inspired and really excited, I guess, to see such an awesome event in the middle of winter. And from there, it has just kept on growing. Um, Probably one of our biggest challenges has been trying to manage the food and then getting enough vendors for the event, which is quite funny because, you know, in the early days, you think you're going to have a small group of people attend and slowly grow but suddenly so many people blew us all away but it kept going from strength to strength wow that's amazing amazing for a first year festival so if we fast forward to 2019 we'll touch on 2020 shortly how many um have you been getting to recent festivals yeah so i guess the festival developed we had the two big feature nights within that two-week period so the ice rink and the illuminations run for two weeks and the first saturday is our big opening night where we turn the lights on, everyone comes, it's all about regional food, regional wine, showcasing our local producers, lots of local talent from our singers, performers, dance schools. And then to the second weekend, which is another big night based around getting some, you know, outside of region vendors so that we're bringing something different to the festival. So in 2019, I think we had, must have been towards around 60,000 people across the two weeks. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's huge. So around the festival nights, we're getting about 10,000 through on those big Saturday nights that go for about nine hours. And then throughout the festival with the ice rink, we've got the Ferris wheel. We've got little mini pop-up events throughout that time. It's just a constant stream of people because the festival's open 12 hours a day. So, yeah, constant stream of people coming in, checking out the lights at night. So, yeah, it's, it's getting... Massive. Wow. And where are these people coming from, Hannah? Are they obviously a lot of the locals, but are people travelling to come and experience Bathurst in the winter now? Yes, it's quite incredible where people are coming from. Instead of the locals leaving Bathurst, they're not only staying in Bathurst, but they're bringing all their friends and family from you know Sydney, Central West. We've even got family and friends that are coming from Port Macquarie and Queensland and Victoria to come and stay in Bathurst during the Winter Festival to be part of it which is unreal. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that was obviously one of the drivers with starting the festival was to bring people into Bathurst, as you mentioned at the top. Generally in the winter months, people are quick to flee or not leave their houses. So it's really inspiring to see an event that's being staged and is attracting people for that very reason. So well done. Thank you. Now, obviously working on an event like this takes a lot of work. Can you talk, this is a council-owned event, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. So how many staff have you got working on it in your team? And then if you do have volunteers, can you talk to us a bit about that as well? Yeah, for sure. So we've got a team of seven in the events team. So we do run 13 major events throughout the year, which is quite a big calendar for us to get through. And Winterfest being our biggest festival, our biggest event of the year. So I've got seven of us looking after, you know, the logistics, all of the marketing, our income, so with our grants and our sponsorship, making sure we've got some income coming in. We've got staff looking after all the performers, the foodies, the market stores, all about ticketing. So there's a massive, you know, and building, building an ice rink, building a Ferris wheel, and these massive food nights, all the infrastructure with fencing and security and lighting, everything that has to come in is an absolute mammoth job. And the team work incredibly hard. They're extremely creative, quite resilient. They just get in and get it done and they've been producing some awesome things. Wow. And, and can I just say, yeah. I know at regional event conferences previously, there've been some very envious other councils who have heard that you've got quite a well-resourced events team. So I think it's really good to see because especially in regional areas, for a council to value the impact of events so much and to put so many resources behind it, 
it. So well done. But as you mentioned, you do have 13, you know, kind of major events as well. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, you're quite right. It is. And I think because we've had Mount Panorama in Bathurst for so long and that being a massive draw card, you know, for 50 years, the council realises what events can bring into the community from your economic development, but also social cohesion. So it's been quite proven that if you hold something, people will come and just the benefits of that. And we do have so many major events and they are run largely by the council, which is why we have a massive team, which I understand is not every council. We are very lucky. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But, you know, good on you. And you're obviously making it work. So that's fantastic. So in addition to the team, your core team at council, do you have any volunteers that assist with Winterfest? Yes. So we have quite an extensive volunteer program with our high school students. So usually traditionally we've got volunteers at other events and it is an ageing population with volunteers, which I know a lot of people can struggle with. So one of the tactics we had for this event was because it's such a youthful event in the way that we've got rides and the ice skating rink, it was a really easy way to capture high school students and with their award, give them ice skating tickets and tickets to the festival because that's something that they're doing in their school holidays and they can be a part of. And because it is such a fun event, they want to be a part of it. You know, they've got artworks featured through the event. So it was easy buy-in with the with the students and they come along on the night and they're in like really kind of high profile areas. They're greeting people as they turn up. They're helping with information. They're at our Instagram sites, taking pictures for people. She's going to be quite tech savvy. They're great at taking pictures. Yeah, so they really help out on the event days and nights. I love that. I think that's a really, yeah, that's a great tactic. So well done. And are you using anyone in the lead up or is it more just having that support during the nights and the, you know, the busy nights, but also over that two week period? Yeah, so I guess we do quite a big team. So that does help resourcing it in the lead up to the event. It is, so the event runs for two weeks, but you've got your week, the bump in and the bump out, both that take a week. So we're essentially staff are on site for about 30 days. So in addition to our staff, we bring in council staff. So we have that, I guess, luxury of having, you know, a multi-skilled workforce where we can bring in the depot staff to help with some of the traffic management. They can start setting up some, you know, the bulkier items for us. We've got staff that are looking for additional work on weekends. So they kind of slot in to help us with ticketing and set up, pack down. We're quite lucky that we have those people to draw on as well. And then with multiple contractors, so an example is CSU. So they do a lot of our designing and creative install with some of the installations and they draw on some of the students that are in like theatre and media and communications and PR and they come and volunteer their time to help set the festival up. So they help with the designing of the installations. I mean, they're there for bumping, they're putting everything up, they're getting to see the event happen and they're getting to pack it up so they get that full event experience while at uni. They're really valuable to us as well. Yeah, I love that. And for those listening that don't know, CSU is Charles Sturt University, which has a major campus in Bathurst. But yeah, that's another great resource for you guys to tap into. So well done. Can you talk about the impact that Bathurst Winterfest has had on the region? Yeah, so I guess in 2015, they wanted to leave a legacy event and that they did. It's become a, a marquee event for the region. So Obviously, it's a massive tourism injection. You know, it's bringing in more than $2 million worth of economic development over those two weeks. And, you know, we've had restaurants pull us aside and say they're as busy during that two weeks in winter, where it used to be a dead time of year for them. They're as busy as they are during the Bathurst 1000. So to hear that is just incredible. It means that there's people getting more jobs during that really quiet time of year. There's people going into their businesses, they're spending money. And a big part of 
Council's involvement in this event is that they subsidise a lot of the activities. It's an extremely free event. You know, people can come along, they can wander through the whole event without really having to spend a cent. They can go through the installations, they can see all the lights and walk past the market stores. And when they do want to spend money, it is quite affordable, which is a big draw card for the event. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't realise that. That's, yeah, that's amazing. There's lots of free activities. And then what, you know, the activities they pay for, so the ice rink, the rides, is heavily subsidised by council. So it's a financially affordable event for everyone in the community, which means not only are they getting to, it's not exclusive, it's not like you can only go on the ice rink once, you can go multiple times. You know, kids can spend their pocket money and they can afford to go on the ice rink and the Ferris wheel or go through the House of Mirrors. So it's not exclusive to anyone. That, I think that's why it makes it so successful because the community and people can keep coming back and it's not like they're going to spend hundreds of dollars. You know, the ice rink in its first few years was $5 a ticket. So, I mean, we were at 100% capacity for those first few years. And, you know, we've increased it to $8 a child and $12 for an adult. So an adult can take a child or two kids can go together and it's less than $20 for 45 minutes worth of entertainment, which makes it really affordable and which is why it has just such this warming atmosphere because you can come and you can enjoy it and you're not having to fork out a lot of money, which, you know, it just, it's accessible and it's equal, I guess. Yeah, that, it's very um, really inclusive and quite a novel approach, I think, at the moment, especially. So, yeah. so well done to council for that. Well, you mentioned the word accessibility and I want to to hear a bit more about the accessibility element of the festival that I know was introduced close to one of the first years, I think, that you were in operation. And I think you've worked with some maybe funding bodies on that. But can you just talk to us about that accessibility element of the festival, please? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, working for the council, we are for the community and we want to make sure that our events, because, you know, we want to make sure they're financially accessible and we want to make sure they're accessible to everyone in the community, which is a massive driver for myself and my team. So in the early days, we saw every now and then maybe a wheelchair would get on the ice rink and they'd be pushed around and it looked fun for them but also quite stressful because they're on there with everyone else swimming around. So we kind of looked at that and said, what can we do for people in the community that want to be out and about um, but don't have the confidence? And so we created an accessible day. We worked with Live Better. We spoke to a few caseworkers in town and did a bit of research and spoke to them how we could get them involved. And, you know, the ice rink being the major draw card, that's what we focused on. So we penciled out half a day in the early, I think maybe six or seven hours, and we reduced the capacity. So you could have 150 people on the ice rink. We reduced the capacity to about 50, and we had carers on standby to help people get around, so all different abilities. We made sure that, you know, if people weren't feeling comfortable on the ice, there was things that they could sit on or extra wheelchairs so they could be wheeled around the ice, and to watch that day play out. It was incredible just to see so many happy, smiling people. They were over the moon at the fact that they got you know, the ice rink to themselves. They got to play around just like everyone else did. They had their 45-minute sessions. They kind of come and go. There was less people around, so it wasn't as daunting for them. They still had access to the rest of the festival. And that event is just continuing to grow. So, you know, we've got people anecdotally from Ningen and Burke you know, hiring a bus with these services and coming up and spending the day in Bathurst, enjoying that time for themselves on the ice, on, on the ice rink, and then coming back the following day because we put it on a Friday before a major festival event, a major festival night, so they can have that day to themselves and they can kind of come back and enjoy it with everyone else because it's obviously a fine line between making it accessible and inclusive but not also excluding them for the rest of the festival. And it just keeps growing and we're looking at, you know, different ways to ensure that the whole festival is accessible every day of 
the two weeks. Oh, well done. Congratulations. And it, it's so important. And I love that you are being inclusive in every sense of the word. So congratulations. And I look forward to seeing where you take that aspect of the festival in particular. Can you talk to us a bit about sponsorship? Obviously, council, you know, heavily fund this event every year, but are you also reliant on sponsorship? Are you out there looking for grant funding, that type of thing? Yes, definitely. So when a festival runs for two weeks, it has quite a few costs and we've been quite lucky in sourcing some major sponsors like McDonald's Bathurst have been on board from really early on. And they help fund the ice rink. And they also contribute to keeping that price down and affordable and accessible to people. We've got two staff members on our team. They work part-time, Anna and Katrina, that are dedicated for grant funding. You know, big shout-out to Destination New South Wales. They've funded the event for three, four years now. We've had, we're on that triennial funding now. You know, to, that has helped us so much with our marketing, getting the word out there. We had having their backing really just push the winter festival to new markets and we really saw the return on that in the years following um, their support. We've got the local, you know, touched on CSU earlier. They're a major supporter of the event. But we've also got opportunities for smaller businesses to be part of the event because we want it to be inclusive and accessible. So, yeah, we've got local dental practice sponsoring youth music for smaller events, which enables these musicians to gain confidence on a, a big scale of a major event. We've got... Lots of little sponsorship opportunities to ensure that, you know, we're encouraging people to get back into those businesses. Yeah, I guess sponsorship, it's growing and it's, to be honest, it's our easiest event to get sponsorship for because it is such a beautiful event. Uh, It's great atmosphere. It is open to so many age groups. The girls do have an easier job getting sponsorship and funding for that event. That's amazing to hear actually because a lot of, I know a lot of festivals are finding sponsorship quite tricky at the moment. So Congratulations on creating an event that is sought after in terms of sponsorship. And it's great to see the support from Destination New South Wales. You guys have really deserved that funding that's come your way. Another funding source we've had is from the federal government, which has been awesome to fund projects within the illumination space. And that's funded projects with people in their ages, you know, their early 20s to mid-20s. We've been able to fund them working with local artists in digital projections and then they're getting their digital projections up on, you know, buildings around town. So that's been an awesome stream of funding as well. So you touched on this when you were talking about the funding support from Destination New South Wales, but I'm keen to hear a bit more about your marketing and the strategy behind that and maybe even where Destination New South Wales have been able to assist you and reach new markets that you may potentially not have been able to reach previously because of budget and resources. Marketing for this event has quite a scope because we're obviously getting like our locals and our local buy-in and make sure they're aware of what's happening and when because when their friends and family come to visit, they need to be educated in across what's going on for the festival so they have the best time. Then we go, you know, regionally, making sure we get out to Mudgee, Cowra, Lithgow, Dubbo, Orange, because it, we all know out in this area, like it's easy to travel for events within that kind of two and a half hours. We've got our Sydney market, which is a huge and growing market. Again, coming out to the country, for them, the marketing's based around, you know, embracing winter, staying in accommodation and sitting by a log fire, drinking the red wine, getting dressed up and actually experiencing the winter, putting on the woolly warmers, the big coat, the beanies, the scarves. Uh, a lot of our marketing is focused around that experience and a proper winter experience, which they don't necessarily get in the city. And then extending out, I guess now, 
pre-COVID, that next step was to take it more interstate with our marketing. It's a fun event to market because it's so colourful. The pictures are incredible with lights on buildings and people out skating outdoors and it's in front of the courthouse and it's the imagery is just brilliant and easy to work with and it's a fun event and it does cater to so many different people so there's so much storytelling and content to get into because it's there is so much happening across the festival as well a little thing we did this year was bringing pets everyone loves their pets and you know dressing their one of the competitions we ran was dressing pets up in their winter woolies which was just so fun and just you know got in a new bit of a market with dog owners and cat owners What are you doing with videography? I know you guys have produced some pretty good videos that you're putting out on your website and socials. We've got some incredible photographers and videographers in town and when we've engaged with them, they are just creating awesome content to share. The drone footage makes for great video. Being a day festival with the ice rink and the installations looks good by day and then by night time we've got the lights on the buildings, we've got the food and wine, we've got performers that are lit up in all different colours, the silent disco, so people dancing in the dark with their bright headphones. So it all makes for great video content. So Destination New South Wales having such a massive presence and such a, a great platform with all of their marketing, we've really been able to reach the further Central West and really regional, being put in publications that are featured in airline magazines, on train lines, in the menu brochure, cross-promotion at other major events, TVCs that we wouldn't always have had the opportunity for, billboards at Sydney Airport in 2019. That was a pretty awesome that we got a billboard as people were leaving Sydney Airport with the Bathurst Winter Festival up there. It was quite unreal. And, you know, featuring the Daily Telegraph and just all those publications that you just wouldn't have access to without their support. Absolutely. They're, they're an incredible resource for regional event owners in New South Wales. I agree. So, Let's talk about 2020. It's not been a great year for the festival and events industry. Can you talk through what, I guess, your process with your 2020 event, what you ended up doing and how that all washed up? 2020, what an interesting year. So 2020, the Winter Festival, you know, I guess as event organisers at our core, we love bringing people together and we love creating an atmosphere and a good time and seeing people happy. So a key driver for us during COVID was to ensure, you know, to try and find a way where we could still bring people together. You know, we're watching places close down, you know, kind of come, you know, the March, everything closed down. We were thinking, yeah, come July when the festival was, we've got some time. We told about all of our major suppliers, look, stay with us. Let's find out your drop dead date, but let's work to see what we can do with the situation as it is because knowing that we're going into winter, knowing how much locals look forward to the winter festival and how happy it makes them was a bit of a real driver for us to be thinking, you know, differently, thinking outside the box quite strategically and how we could have a festival and what that was going to look like. So watching what people were doing overseas, big thing was the driving movies and driving concerts. We're watching that take off. So that was kind of going down one channel and with our illuminations being a major draw card for the festival. We kind of thought back to 2015 when it was the first year. And in the first year of the festival, Bowers wasn't really ready to walk the streets to see all the illuminations. They were in their car. So they used to drive around to each illumination site, stay in their car. They were all rugged up. They didn't want to get out. And so this theme stuck with us. And we said, well, what if we could do something similar in 2020? Because at that time, we were watching what was happening. You could leave your house 
in your car, worst case scenario, the worst part of lockdown, you might be able to drive past the illumination sites as you get your groceries or you're um, at nighttime being, you know, it gets dark quite early. So we drew on that and said, right, so let's make it an in-car experience, which is COVID safe. You're doing it with the people in your house. So this might get up. And if restrictions ease, it could only add to the experience. So we thought, well, okay, so they're going to drive around. They're going to park in the front of, you know, being regional. You've got plenty of space to park in front of where you want to go. And all right, let's take it to the next step. So we had music from the PA. You could walk around and hear the music. Let's get that music transported into the car through FM. So each site now had a backing track with it that people could literally drive around in their car, park, turn their lights off, change to the FM station. And it was a different FM station for each illumination site, which was a little bit logistical nightmare to make sure it was just such a tight frequency. And they'd be able to sit in their car, watch the illumination, have a complete in-car experience. So that was like, great, illumination can happen. We're watching drive-in cinemas really trend up during COVID. So great, let's get one of them. We'll get a pop-up one. So we... You know, started down on that track. So it was a, the Winter Festival was going to go ahead, two weeks, drive around illuminations, full in-car experience, and you've got the pop-up drive-in cinema. And as restrictions started to ease, we were getting close. We're like, great, this is going to happen. Let's start doing some marketing. And again, it wasn't this year our focus changed. It wasn't about tourism this year. It was all about social cohesion for our locals, making sure that they're kind of, you know, mental health, they had something to look forward to, potentially get out and about to. And those businesses that were operating, we could inject some money into them. So we worked with businesses in the leader. So the in-car experience was around, all right, what businesses are offering takeaway that we can say, go pick up your food from one of the local restaurants, park, eat the delicious food that's going around and watch illuminations. And then before you attend the drive-in, make sure you visit you know, the local pizza shop or get some takeaway burgers and come to the event. And then so we're going to the drive-in, which... We were looking at, so the festival starts in July and it wasn't really until June that this really took off. So we had a short lead time, but you know, in events, you can make anything happen with a bit of pressure. And so the driving was happening. We were, you know, working around the clock to get a massive screen. We had Mount Panorama using that site. We hadn't, none of us in the team had even been to a driving before. So we had a quick trip to Sydney and went to the Blacktown Drive-In Cinema. Got a few ideas from there. We're like, right, we can do this. And it was really fun. So we got to, you know, implement new things. So we had a popcorn bar and a snacks bar. But being COVID, how do we keep people in their cars? Well, let's do delivery to people's cars. So we came up with a system where people could order online as they turned up. They had, you know, a parking spot so we knew where they were. And we had our volunteers, again, students from high school. They were finishing school that year, so they had a pretty quiet year. So they were happy to get out and about and help as well. And then we had their little popcorn trays and they were delivering snacks to the cars it was quite challenging, obviously, to do a community event during COVID and quite scary because you're real things you don't want to mess up, but also extremely rewarding. Now, first night of the opening, we had the big skylights happening. People were driving into Mount Panorama. We had these core flutes with all the movies on them as they were driving in. And we managed to make quite the experience. And we got that pre-event goosebumps, which was awesome, especially in a COVID year where we didn't think it would run. But we managed to, you know, have the driving. We managed to have the illuminations, the live music. We wanted to ensure that our musicians could get some benefits. So we, you know, step one was, all right, let's get some musicians. We will get them to live stream from their homes on Friday and Saturday nights, create a good atmosphere. And then as restrictions started to ease, just as the festival got closer, businesses were allowed to have 20 or 30 people in their restaurants. So we said, great. So we spoke to our artists. We said, can you go into the business 
and do live music from there and live stream it. So for the people that were ready to go out, again, there was, you know, they could go into our local restaurants and cafes and have a bit of extra atmosphere to encourage them to get out, enjoy that time out. But then we also live streamed it so that people that were at home and not quite ready to go out or not comfortable, they were still able to access that live music from home. And that was a really awesome initiative to see people out and about. And there were venues that have never had live music that we partnered with. And, you know, their restaurants were full to capacity, although less capacity. They were, people were coming out again. There was live music, you know, every weekend of the festival, which, yeah, really added to it. So we actually managed to do quite a bit for a COVID year which we were pretty impressed with. My goodness, congratulations. And you and the team are just so innovative. It's amazing to see that, especially as we were kind of still around that second wave time during COVID. So well done. And I'm interested, will there be any elements that you implemented for this year that you'll carry through for future years pending that we can go back, you know, to large, larger gatherings again? Yeah, I think this year has really redefined the festival the illumination sites, bringing more to them. Like, yes, their lights on building, we like to make them quite immersive and interactive. But I think we'll definitely add to that in future. So we have the illumination sites, but we also lit the parks up. So you could drive around Bathurst and feel it. Or at that point in time, you could actually walk the streets and it could be fully immersive. And the big festival nights weren't obviously a thing. And people still came out and enjoyed the festival. So potentially looking at smaller boutique pop-up style events for the next couple of years while we watch and see what happens with COVID. The music in venues, we loved that and it worked so well. So we had our, the professional musicians, you could say, in the restaurants at nighttime, but also our young artists in cafes over lunchtime where they were playing music and it just added to this full festival feel. So council for the event has, you know, we've got the main attractions, but the big draw card and what we've really pushed and have been working with over the years is bringing in the businesses and that local activation so that if anyone comes to Bathurst during that two-week period, they can walk the streets and something's happening. They might go out to a farm stay and there's, you know, campfire damper making out there or go out to one of the villages. There is just so much happening, these little mini events within a major event that make it all the worthwhile. And I'd be silly to say that that doesn't come from, you know, drawing on places like the Park Elvis Festival and the Tamworth Country Music Festival that we watch in awe and see how they do things and how they bring so many different community groups and businesses into their events to support it and add to it. And that is definitely something that we love about our regional event. And I think any major regional event finds very successful and adds to it by that, you know, that grassroots buy-in. So going back to what you said earlier, the music in live venues, either daytime and nighttime, would definitely stick and putting them in different places as well in, you know, stores that you wouldn't expect it to be in. So maybe like a a plant store. So when you're going around Bathurst and you're getting the the full Bathurst experience, there's these little pop-up things that are happening and contributing to that experience. I love it. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Okay. So at the start of the talk, you mentioned in the first year being fairly overwhelmed with the crowd numbers and, you know, your food stall holders running out of food. I guess that was a big challenge for you having those numbers from the first year. But can you talk about some of the other challenges besides 2020 that you've faced since the inception? A massive event like that comes with so many challenges. Keeping it new and interesting year on year is a challenge in itself. We've got lights on buildings, we've got an outdoor ice rink, we've got rides and these pop-up food and wine. 
is, you know, how do we make sure that people want to come back year on year and it's not the same thing as it was last year, making sure our theming's different. And then with our theming, making sure that it goes across the whole festival so that there's some cohesion as you walk in and it flows quite well. Staff fatigue, what I mentioned that earlier around, you know, 30 days of being on site, you're starting work at five o'clock in the morning, sometimes minus seven degrees, and you've got to work till midnight to pack the festival up on those weekends. That's a massive one to manage. Thankfully, I've got really hardworking staff that get in and get it done and know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and they can collapse sometime in August (laughs) and it's all packed up. Managing budgets, obviously maintaining that financial um, accessibility of the event has been quite difficult because we all know how expensive things are and being regional, bringing, so we showcase a lot of local performers, entertainers, but we also want to bring acts and entertainment from outside so that there's people within town can see different things and anything that you bring outside, you know, from major cities comes with a massive transport cost. You've got accommodation on top of that. So that makes that accessibility quite difficult. So maintaining that budget and making sure that things are financially accessible to everyone within the community for the event and balancing that around what we can bring to continue to make it different. Other challenges, being outdoors in winter is a challenge in itself. You, you plan a lot of these events so far out that you're planning in summertime. So you think, oh, yeah, people will go outside and they'll drink and they can sit on, you know, they can spread out and they'll be able to sit on the grass. And then you kind of, you know, get closer to winter and you get, that's right, it's freezing. Uh, people stick together. So trying to create warm and inviting spaces when it's three degrees is a challenge. It's a massive challenge. So looking at, we really want to get into the outdoor fires, holding some big fires downtown. That's a challenge because it's quite, seems quite dangerous and a bit of a logistical nightmare considering we're closing streets and then the next day you have enough to have it all packed up and out like it was never there. That's a big challenge. You've listed quite a few there, Hannah. (laughs) You've got your fair share. Um, And it's really comprehensive. Thank you for that. And yeah, I think in particular, the managing the staff and the burnout and just ensuring everyone, you know, is getting at least some form of rest throughout that month-long period. So, yeah, thank you for highlighting that and you've clearly got a very dedicated events team. So moving forward, where do you see Bathurst Winterfest going over the next couple of years? I'm so excited about its future. I think it's just going to continue to grow. I think what's exciting is it's going to continue to grow with its community involvement. We're going to continue to tell stories through illumination and art Um, with different areas within the community, communities that don't necessarily always have a big voice, getting their stories out there, getting our businesses on board. They're starting to create their own mini events within the festival. So they're seeing some economic return, widening the footprint. Again, like I mentioned earlier, so that when anyone turns up to Bathurst, the shop fronts, they're always decked out in, you know, celebrating winter. And it's not just that CBD event, which is what it is at the moment. It's slowly growing out, but it becomes as soon as you drive into Bathurst, everyone will feel they're a part of this festival. They're coming into something great. They want to be here for this. They don't want to miss it. They're going to bring their friends and family. We've got school students that are creating digital artworks that's going up on buildings. Uh, We've got young musicians that are creating music that goes in time with the illuminations on different buildings they're creating they're composing their own music that's then featured on a big a big platform so they're just getting these fantastic skills and getting great buying from the community to come in and see it all so that's where I see 
the future of the event go. Yeah, I love that. And I love that the community is at the heart of everything that you're doing and the decisions you're making with the festival. And I think more than ever, that's going to be so important as we move forward in this new environment. So yeah, well done on that. And I look forward to see where you take it. Yeah, we've got some fantastic producers within the region. And as the event is so big, we would love to see the producers and entertainers coming from the wider region. So whether that's drawing on people from, you know, Central West, them coming to Bathurst to showcase what they do, whether it's performing and music, wine, beer, because Bathurst is a little bit of the gateway to Central West. Once we get them to Bathurst, they'll go out to Orange and Dubbo and further and come back via Parks, Forbes, Cowra or Mudgee from the other side. So we think we're quite lucky if we can work together through the Central West and bring as many people here for this festival during the school holidays because they are out and about. And looking at domestic tourism will be huge in the next couple of years. Bring them here for winter, stay a couple of days, then send them on to everyone else. That's it. And return at other, other times of the year. I think you're onto a winning ingredient there. Now to finish up before we get on to our last lot of questions, can you maybe give us your top three tips if anyone's out there considering starting a new regional festival and event? Yes, definitely. I think the biggest thing is to have your community support and buy-in. They're the people that will turn up in the middle of the freezing cold. They'll want to showcase to their friends and family what this beautiful city that they live in and they'll want to add to it. And if they're all on board, it'll keep growing from strength to strength and you will drive the start of it and then they'll all jump on board and drive their little areas and it'll just contribute to a really fantastic, cohesive event. For sure. Do you have any quick tips on that, like anything any strategies you undertook to get the community on board from the start? I guess my position, I was working with council, but I didn't have a lot of, I only came to council, back to council in 2015. So those earlier years, it was a lot of working with the schools for lantern making, I guess, skipping where I was more involved. It's really relationship based. You really have to work with the people in your community, which people know. And sometimes we can fall into a trap of just, you know, distributing information, saying, hey, this is what we're doing, come and be a part of it. We forget to call people, meet them for a coffee and chat to them and say, this is what we want to do. How does that work in with you? What does that look like for you? Because especially we know what we want in the big picture, but when we're working with businesses to community groups to schools, they've all got different agendas and different outcomes that they want to achieve. So speaking directly with them and having open conversations and being led by them because they know their business and they know their outcomes really well and working with them from the get-go, not just telling them how you want it to be done. Absolutely. Completely agree. And sorry, I digress. So I'll let you get back to your top tips for people looking at introducing new events. Yeah. So I guess know your competitors. We were quite lucky with the Winter Festival. There wasn't a lot happening at that time with Winter Festivals. So we know people weren't doing that, which is fantastic. So we could do something that wasn't going to directly compete with our competitors because then if we're competing with them, people are going to choose one or the other, whereas we prefer them to choose both. And then that kind of goes into the third thing is working with your competitors. So especially regionally, if you can help each other out, because sometimes it can feel quite isolating in a region, you know, when you're driving the events in the region, you feel like all your problems are just your problems. And then like you've done at your regional events conference, you start talking to people that do major events in regional areas and you realize, A, you're not alone. The problems you have, everyone has. So that makes it a lot easier to digest and they can help you get through a lot of your roadblocks or red tape because they've done it before working yet. Yeah, knowing your competitors and working with them. 
especially yeah. regionally. I think that might be a bit different if you're working in the city, but I feel regionally, and I think you've obviously with the regional events conference, yeah, you've seen the benefits in that. And we, myself and my team that go to the events conference have definitely taken that on board and working with people from around the region to yeah, learn and better and get better ideas and get better structures to complete a better event. I completely agree. And I think something that's come through on this podcast is that collaboration and that how um, willing regional people are to share their ideas and, again, not reinvent the wheel. So, yeah, if you're experiencing something similar, they're more than happy to lend a hand and let you know what they did. So, yeah, they're great tips, Hannah. Thank you so much. No worries. Okay. So that ends that part of the podcast. And now we'll get on to our final behind the scenes. So a few fun questions if you're ready to, to wrap this up. I am ready. Okay. What was the last event you went to? I was quite lucky enough. I went to the NRL Grand Final <gasps> and it was so good to be in an event. I cannot tell you like the goosebumps of feeling. I was like, yes, we have definitely missed this. Wow. And did your team win? Sadly, no. <laughs> no. Penrith Panthers, big fan. They play a game in Bathurst every year, so massive fan of them. Uh, so that was a bit upsetting, but great to be out. About yeah, again. I was going to say, at least um, at least you were at a live event. So I guess that helped soften yes. the blow a bit. Okay. So what's the favorite, your favorite event that you've been to? My favorite event I've been to is a festival in Belgium called Tomorrowland. And it is, can I go overseas for this? Yeah, of course you can. Great. Yes, Tomorrowland. Not only because it's fantastic to go as, you know, part of the crowd, but the set design and the layout and everything that those event organizers have created is so magical they've thought of everything and it is fantastic even just google it and just look at the pictures the staging is huge Ooh, you've got me interested i'm sure going to google that after this <laughs> and it's probably yeah you you've done well to get over there you know before covid so i think that's good timing yeah i'm very thankful for that which event is on your bucket list Glastonbury, which also answers the next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've answered two in one. I have, I have. Glastonbury would be incredible. Yeah, I'm with you. Great. So you've answered question number four. So the last question, what's your favourite thing about the festivals and events industry? Favourite thing about the festival and events industry would be always, you know, the number one is bringing people together and walking through that crowd when there's 10,000 people at a footy game and feeling that atmosphere and excitement. That is hands down the best feeling. Uh, but my favourite thing about the events industry is the people that we work with. It's a lifestyle. There's super high highs and there's lows, but everyone comes together. It's a very resilient community. It's a very, let's get this done. We can make this work no matter what the roadblock is because you've got such a harsh deadline and it has to go ahead. People become so creative and they can get in and get things done and you create things that you wouldn't have expected to get through hurdles that, you know, sometimes would be a lot harder to get through and you just work with really good people. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, yeah. And with like-minded people, we, you know, appreciate, appreciate social gatherings and getting outdoors, having fun. That's it. And moving forward all in a COVID safe way, of course. Hannah, thank you so much for your time and for sharing the Bathurst Winterfest story. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think you've been able to provide some really good tips and just talking about your experience and being so honest and open, especially with the journey you guys have been on for 2020. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I could talk about the festival for days. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, we'll put links in the 
show notes for people. So you may get, you know, inundated with some requests over the coming week. So thanks again and best of luck, not just with Bathurst Winterfest, but with all your other regional events coming up in 2021. Thanks so much, Belinda. And hopefully we'll see at the regional events conference in the next few years, whenever that may be. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Hannah. Bye. And that's a wrap of season one of the Eventualities podcast. I've loved bringing you these eight episodes and want to thank my guests so much for their time and for sharing their experience, knowledge and insights with us. It has been so much fun sitting down with these amazing event professionals and learning about them and their events. I think it's telling that every guest has answered my final question, what do you like most about the festivals and events industry with the same answer, the people. To this end, I also think that's why we won't be able to replace real life events in the future, as this is what drives and brings together our amazing industry. Regional Australia is so lucky to have such an amazing calibre of festivals and events and to have the people that create, develop, implement and innovate to ensure that we are providing world-class experiences for patrons. We're already working on season two of the Eventualities podcast and would love to hear from you about your suggestions for future interviews. We're also hatching a plan for the Regional Events Conference in 2021. So stay tuned and make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter to receive updates. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate the support and we're hopeful the year ahead sees a return of our favourite regional festivals and events. 